0: Welcome to Recalculating Adventist Life Now. I'm Skip Bell, your host. The topic today is Christian Witness in the Secular Workplace. My guest today is Michael Kaferke. Dr. Kafferkey holds a Doctor of Business Administration degree from... Anderson University. He recently retired from the Ruth McKee Chair for Entrepreneurship and Business Ethics Southern Adventist University. There he taught management, business strategy, entrepreneurship, organizational theory, and business ethics. I get tired just talking about the things he's done. Prior to his work in higher education, he worked for 20 years in healthcare leadership roles. He's authored eight books, you may have heard of Management, a Faith-Based Perspective, an important book. Try to get it if you haven't yet. Or Scriptural Foundations for Management. He's published numerous articles in business leadership and received recognition from secular business organization organizations for his contributions. He and his wife, Marlene, uh, have two grown sons. So welcome, Michael.
1: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: Uh, Dr. Kafferke, let's start here. Tell us about your journey and your current thinking regarding the secular marketplace.
1: Right. Well, I I think the antecedents of this go back to undergraduate and seminary studies also, uh, where I started learning about biblical theology. And for the next 25 years, I did a lot of thinking about it, but not a lot of study. Uh, And so when I was in the healthcare industry, Uh, began to search the scriptures and found some interesting verses that seemed to relate to business. But there was nothing that was a coherent, comprehensive uh, framework that tied all of this together. So I launched a search to see if I could find a Christ-centered perspective on the marketplace. And in 2003, when I started at the university work, I began to really study as far as I as deep as I could, and learned a lot. But I I finally came to understand that the chief characteristics and the theological identity of Jesus Christ are at a very deep level, some of the fundamental principles of business. And so this became a real focus of my work then, from then on. And as part of that, I began to believe, and some of the listeners may disagree with me on this, but That the so-called secular marketplace really is sacred space, not in the same way as we might consider a church building, perhaps, but in a way that honors God's presence in the marketplace. Hmm.
0: That's that's, uh, an interesting perspective, uh, expand a little more on what led to your insights into using the language of secular business to reveal deeper truths about the gospel and our everyday life.
1: Right, right. So this study over the period of uh, about nine or 10 years, uh, I I started thinking more about what is the the total biblical perspective. If you just isolate one verse here and there, you learn in bits and pieces wisdom about business. But what's the entire scripture when you roll it all together? What's the what's the story? And so uh, I began doing some writing about it and then invited to give some speeches on the the Bible and business. And it was just before the speech that I gave in South Africa. I can still remember it today because it was like a, a jolt of of heat that ran through my body in an instant when I realized that some of the grand themes of scripture that represent the character of Christ and his identity, these themes like covenant and wisdom and holiness, creation, Sabbath, loving kindness, redemption, and so forth, these themes cut across all denominations, and they form a complex cluster of interwoven ideas that are directly related to our work in the market. And so that was a shock to me, and and I think that's what really started to focus uh, on these these deeper truths and how they relate to our everyday life. You know, we spend more time in the market than we spend at church, maybe 10 times as much sure. time in the marketplace. And, yeah. you know, God doesn't stay out of the market when we go into the market. Uh, he's there. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, what what else are you working on right now, uh, extending that direction of your thinking about witness in the secular world of business.
1: Right. Well, I'm making a transition away from academic writing. I've just finished a manuscript of a nonfiction, very small book on the principles of business that are tied to these grand themes and to the character of Christ. Uh, I'm hopeful that this will be seen as a one of the ways to see a Christ-centered view on the marketplace. Uh, I'm also co-authoring an adult Bible study guide on the topic of religion and business that we hope will be accepted for use. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is part of the the lesson quarterly series that some of your listeners will be familiar with. Mm -hmm. It's, it's uh, something we're working on. Uh, Also writing a creative story about an executive who comes through a crisis realizing that he's not been an ambassador for Christ at his workplace But where he works, it's taboo to talk about religion, and so he's caught in a dilemma. How can he be an ambassador and yet cannot talk about religion?
0: Now, uh, Dr. Kafferke, uh, we're talking about witnessing in the secular workplace, and sometimes our listener is trying to connect that to that intentional act of witnessing. To what degree is it fair or perhaps helpful in our consideration to characterize that traditional thinking or perspective on evan- personal evangelism as a bipolar choice. I'm, I'm kind of thinking of that choice between, on the one hand, simply living a silent witness, and the other speaking openly about the gospel. What would your thoughts be
1: on that? Right, right. Of course, this is the this is the choice that i was raised to to consider and and it's not like it was explicitly taught it's just that we we do evangelism over in this one place in our life but that's not at work and then at work we live our life and we hope that our life and our behavior will be a strong enough message about god uh, there is another choice of course that we if we just share a short story about our personal journey with God. Not, not to explain the gospel in theological terms, but just say a personal uh, memory of how God reached and, and touched your life and let the listener take it or leave it as, as he or she will. But some people even feel comfortable about giving a personal testimony and others who listen feel uncomfortable about listening to a testimony about a religious experience. And so depending on the organization and its culture, this doesn't leave very many options. And I began to wonder whether we can bring these two things together, the silent witness and a verbal witness, but in a a context where it's taboo to talk about religion. How might we be able to do this? And thinking about this took two or three years.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, some people see business as apathetic towards religious thinking. Like, like the two are just not at all related. And when you when you think of the variety, when you consider the variety of industries and companies uh, and the diverse cultures across this country, does that assumption that there is an apathy toward religious thinking and business hold up. We have large cities, we have isolated villages, we have the north, we have the south, we have the healthcare industry, uh, we have the automobile industry. Uh, what do you think about that assumption of apathy towards religious thinking?
1: Right, well, some thinkers and writers have made pretty strong claims about that. Christian writers have made that claim that the marketplace is at best apathetic and sometimes even openly hostile towards religion, religion of any kind, uh, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, uh, doesn't matter uh, for in their perspective. I, I don't think that it's a monolithic context in business. I think there are some possible regional differences and but even within the regional differences, uh, there's variation in organization. So you might find a company in what we call the Bible Belt, where they're more open to talking about religion. Uh, and yet in the same region, you might find maybe a bank or an investment firm, or I don't know, I don't mean to pick on them, but maybe some other type of business where it's still, religion is seen as, as disruptive to the doing of the work in the marketplace it, it caused they some view this as a as a divisive kind of conversation and and people stop production and get into debates and people other feel people feel uncomfortable and they they feel like someone has made a project of them if they're trying to share their faith beliefs and so forth now in, in some industries where it's a service industry and a very intimate service like healthcare it might be more acceptable because when, when someone is, is gravely ill and their life, their, the ultimate questions of life are threatened, there, there might be a more openness. And certainly there are religious healthcare organizations that, that focus on the spiritual dimension of healthcare and honor that because they realize how important this is to patients and their families. But in other industries, Uh, it it might be less uh, valued to talk about religion and spiritual experiences.
0: Now, uh, Michael, in one of your writings, uh, when you were addressing uh, ethical principles, perhaps more accurately, uh, behaviors, words, thoughts, actions, principles based on scripture and the teachings of Christ you asserted in the context of business conversations and when we integrate them into our own work habits, we are telling about Jesus Christ just as surely as when we mention him by name. Now, how can that be true if we don't mention Jesus by name?
1: Yes, and this is one of the concerns of folks who are interested in, in uh, discipling or sharing the gospel anywhere in society, work, workplace or elsewhere. Uh, you can't really tell the gospel unless you mention the name of Jesus. Um, and there is no other name whereby we are saved except by the name of Jesus and so forth. Um, but you know, when, when you consider the character traits of Christ and the, the theological identity of Christ, if we focus on these, are we not representing him and are we not telling about him? Uh, when we, For instance, when we become a verbal champion at work for loyalty, which is at the deep level is really the essence of this theological idea called loving-kindness, uh, deep abiding loyalty... Uh, When we become a champion for truth, using the, the Bible word for truth, most often that word for truth really comes from the ancient Hebrew, meaning faithfulness in your behaviors. Faithfulness to your promise, faithfulness to someone else, telling the truth, of course. When we become a verbal champion of faithfulness, are we not representing one of the central traits of God that is part of the salvation story that he promised, and he fulfilled his promise. And so we can become, in my view, we can come, become leaders in our work organizations by encouraging others to foster loyalty and faithfulness and so forth. And we are representing the central characteristics of Christ
0: now you describe those opportunities uh to express holiness these are opportunities to express holiness in the marketplace
1: <laughs> it it seems to be uh how how is this possible yes, yes. yeah <laughs> because m- many people think about the marketplace as a very dangerous uh shark infested waters of you know people are out to get each other and you better watch your you know, watch out for yourself. That's the rule. Watch for yourself and let other people watch out for themselves. or
0: are they're just out to get something for themselves? Yes, yeah, go, go ahead. right.
1: and and they're they they might try to get something for themselves at your disadvantage. So be careful. So, well, you know the the book of Leviticus is not one of the more popular books. You don't hear many sermons and you don't hear many devotional talks about the Book of Leviticus. It's called the Holiness Book. And it's in Leviticus where we first hear in the Scripture God's call for us to be holy. Now, I was brought up to think that holiness is is mainly and narrowly um, moral purity, and only God is holy, but we are called to be holy, and God is making us holy gradually over time in terms of moral purity. Well, Moses is talking to a bunch of people that just came out of Egyptian bondage, And, you know, if anything, they experienced behaviors of themselves and and others as being quite different than holiness. But, But Moses says, no, you can be holy. And in chapter 19, it's very interesting what he says. Some of the illustrations of holy behaviors are directly related to marketplace activities. And there I found a consistent theme. By the way, it's also in the book of Deuteronomy chapters 22 and 24, and a few other places, uh, where he states the same things. But one of the themes in chapter 19 of Leviticus is the theme of vulnerability. Buyers are vulnerable to sellers, and sellers are vulnerable to buyers. Uh, Employees are vulnerable to their employers, and vice versa. And it's in this context of vulnerability, Moses talks about trade and prosperity and fairness and generosity and compassion. And uh, his instructions or his guidance are basically ways to be holy when you're not sinless. (laughs) You can be holy in the marketplace. And I think there's an amazing opportunities for Christian business professionals to uh, try out some of Moses's ideas by moving towards the vulnerable, which is an incarnation idea. Christ came to this earth at the time when we were the most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And that's when he enacted this great plan of salvation. And he asks us to follow him into the marketplace and to imitate as, as children of God, to imitate him. And yet we don't talk too much about what should we do when we encounter a buyer who is vulnerable, when we encounter a seller who is vulnerable to our own behaviors, what responsibility do we have there? Uh, And that's just opens up a whole conversation that we normally don't have.
0: Yeah, Uh, my wife, uh, great partner in life Joni was just shopping for something this morning that's hard to come by these days, found it online for probably two and a half to three times what it used to sell for oh, wow. when it wasn't rare so yeah that's uh-uh. a common example now hey michael that leads us to think of words we hear often today justice injustice not only here in this country but around the world that's an important issue and you've suggested that business is a setting where justice can be fostered is that a bit much to ask when people are simply exchanging things of value
1: well i suppose it's too much to ask that business uh, and industries solve all the injustices of society however uh, the marketplace contributes to injustices Uh, knowingly or unknowingly we we who work in the marketplace, participate. In, and there's been a lot of attention recently regarding structural injustices in society. Uh, and researchers have identified that in inside organizations uh, there are common injustices that take place toward the, the otherwise abled or the disabled, the minorities, women, older workers, and so forth, uh, that there are things that happen by managers. Managers intimidate workers. They abandon their subordinates. Uh, they degrade their subordinates. They use personal criticism as a way to try to control. And, and these are forms of organizational injustices. And I think business has a role to play to, to um, bring some redemption to this. Not that it's going to solve all injustices of society. But at least in the marketplace, there's an opportunity for business to contribute to the solving of injustices and to actually foster justice and celebrate what justice can do, not only for the good of people, but also for prosperity.
0: Well, yes, you're talking about empowering people somewhat generous. Uh, Is generously the right word? No, it's more just... uh, an equal ethic applied to everyone without reference to their vulnerability at the moment that sure. might be what i hear you saying now when we think of mission and evangelism scholars talk about two dimensions proclamation of the word and living the life of faith it's it's kind of like speaking and doing mm-hmm. and you assert that these two things can be merged become one and the same. Can you talk about that for a moment?
1: When you become a verbal champion for Christ, using the secular language of business, for instance, if you focus uh, your fellow workers on what does faithfulness mean to us when we relate to our employees, relate to customers, suppliers, and how can we improve upon our faithfulness to our promises that is a verbal leadership position when you encourage others to walk along with you to focus on this characteristic of Christ but using the secular words of business actually the, the words are the same faithfulness is actually used in in business conversations as well and so you don't you don't have to switch from a religious term to a business term Oh,
0: pause, pause just a moment. That's really helpful, Michael. You're saying that in business, whether you are a worker, uh, a supplier, a leader, a manager, you're saying has a special opportunity, they can actually describe verbally what faithfulness would look like yeah. to, to their colleagues. Yeah, go All ahead. Right. And, and isn't
1: that one of the best ways for non-Christians to sort of test drive what Christian life is all about, when they see it in action. Now, I'm saying verbally, but it's, that's actually that's an action. When you become a leader in an organization and you encourage others to uh, focus on faithfulness, that is an action. Of course, your own behaviors need to be the anchor for that, where you, you demonstrate faithfulness in your own life at work. But when you verbally champion this with others, you're not only speaking for Christ in the speaking, you're also showing the gospel message in action. And this gives an alternative frame of reference to consider both business and religion. And it's at that moment, I believe, that business and religion are not two different things. They are, they are so intertwined that you cannot tell them apart.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. All right. Good, Dr. Kafferke. Now, you have asserted that business conversations must be dialogue. I think I'm getting a hint of that. But why? Why must it be a
1: dialogue? You know, if, if things were straightforward for the, for the uh, manager and for the Christian manager, the, the ideal manager would gather the information and make a decision, and they would move on together. But the, the truth is, in the world of business, it's, uh, it gets a little more complicated. And When you have multiple stakeholders, each of which has a different goal to achieve, different sets of objectives, and managers are in the middle, trying to make decisions to satisfy the, the needs and interests of all the various stakeholders. It gets complicated, and so for a a Christian to represent Christ by uh, promoting faithfulness, for example, or loyalty, it's not always clear, even I think we need to be honest about this as Christians, it's not always clear that that, uh, being loyal to one set of stakeholders might mean undermining the needs of some other stakeholders in the marketplace. And so, how does the Christian uh, deal with that? How do you deal with ambiguity? Well, I think one of the ways we do this is we engage the conversation with even non-Christians, so that they have a voice in this, and we can understand a little bit better their perspective. Uh, you now, we have great ideas of what we might want to do, but if we don't listen to others, and it doesn't—I mean, you're experienced in leadership. Uh, isn't this one of the ways of being a leader is to listen carefully to those who have different points of view Mm -hmm.
0: it's probably one of the uh, most important
1: characteristics yeah yeah it is And, and I think it's the same for the Christian who wants to be a voice for God when it's not certain what is the way to articulate God's guidance well let's listen to others to hear what they have to say and there might be some creative uh, solutions that, that come up, it doesn't mean that you're always going to find the one correct answer. Sometimes we're going to leave those conversations and still not be completely certain uh, whether we've done the exact right thing. And there might be more than one right thing uh, to do, and there might be more than one wrong thing to do, too.
0: Now, uh, you're frequently in your writings, You suggest in business and in witness, we engage in dialogue rather than monologue. But the traditional Christian frame of reference, especially that which I find in the uh, conservative faith tradition that I find fellowship with, uh, witness is one of monologue. Uh, we say something, we proclaim to unbelievers. It's been a one-way conversation. You're saying there's a better way. I want you to dwell a little more on that.
1: You know, the the most challenging uh, situations for many Christians is to have a conversation with a skeptic Um an agnostic, an atheist, especially someone who has, uh, has learned to articulate their perspective that this is going to be very challenging for the Christian to have a conversation about the Bible and the authority of scripture and the existence of God and so forth. And this can be really unsettling to have that kind of dialogue, but, but dialogue is absolutely necessary uh, in that kind of environment. Uh, It is true that when a preacher gives a message or when someone just shares their faith, someone can be, another person, a non-believer, can be blessed by that message. I don't disagree with that at all. But often questions come up in the minds of other people, questions that are unresolved, difficult questions for both the Christian and others to answer. And if we're going to really engage others in a conversation about well even that word conversations <laughs> suggests dialogue uh, if we're gonna represent Christ then it's gonna require dialogue and certainly dialogue is is a central to business as well whether we're talking business ideas and business strategy or whether we're talking about sharing our faith in the context of a workplace uh, we have to be sensitive to and listen to what others are saying Should we just take a coworker apart and say, I want you to want you to hear my personal story about Jesus and how he reached my life. So we just do that to random people whenever we feel the urge or should we listen carefully to others and uh, discern a better time and place for those kind of conversations and then watch and listen carefully to the, to the listener in terms of their response. I think that, that takes us towards dialogue rather than just, I'm going to tell you my story, and hopefully God will bless you because of it. Now, Have a good day.
0: yeah, is it is it easier to uh, learn a string of content regarding a particular biblical position, or maybe that two minute personal story? Is that easier? to form in our minds and share with a coworker, or uh, or learning to use the language of business to champion the character traits of Christ, which is easier and why?
1: Well, I think if a person sat down and even at a computer wrote a one-page or a two-page story of how God came to them and touched their life and and they responded to God in faith, and then this set them on a course, a life journey of of learning and developing. That you you could write this down. I recently did this for for someone who asked, you know, what, what's your journey? Can you write this out for me? Which I so I did that. Uh, it took a while, you know, and certainly I could memorize the key points of that, so I don't have to read it to someone. Uh, and over. I don't know how long it would take someone to memorize that, but I don't think it would be too difficult to memorize that story, not word for word necessarily. But it's quite different when you're in the throes of a business conversation, a strategy meeting for instance, to try to think of a way to focus on the the conversation of others in the room on faithfulness. How can you do this appropriately? Without someone saying, "Hey, we don't need to talk about religion here. We got business to do." Can, how do you do this? How do you frame the questions and the comments that keep the focus on faithfulness and the business reasons for being faithful, so that they are other people are drawn to this conversation? That takes some skill building and some practice.
0: Mm-hmm. I yeah. think. Yeah, and. Yeah, just a sense of the responsibility is different. Yes. Um, Michael, uh, what are the implications of this conversation from your thinking in terms of Christian theological education and Christian business education? You've been a business leader, you've been a, an academic, and you continue in a sense in both environments what what are the
1: implications uh do we have another hour (laughs) a couple more minutes okay yeah i know uh well first of all you got the age-old problem of of integrating various disciplines and learn in the learning process you know the more specialized scholars have become the more challenging integration across the disciplines has become over the centuries Uh, and complicating this is the problem of of our desire to integrate faith and learning that's another integration challenge okay Uh, i think that at both the undergraduate and graduate levels of higher education the curriculum is just jam-packed with content and so it's it's very difficult to fit one more course in without removing some professor's uh, prized uh, most important course in the world ever yes, yes, from the yes. curriculum. And so you got this political challenge internally to say, you know, we've got to, we've got to uh, engage students in a different setting here to think about theological things and business things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Certainly a theological education, in my opinion, can't ignore the marketplace. Because it's the marketplace where people live their lives. It's where we work 40, 60, 80 hours a week. We're only spending three or four hours in church every week. And so if the, the person who's being trained to become a pastor or an organizational leader, like at the doctoral level, I think we're, we shouldn't avoid talking about the market and the issues because the people they lead are going to be marketplace players. Mm-hmm. They are in the market. Same with business education. I'm unapologetic when I say that Christian business scholars who prepare Christian business professionals in a, in a university are abdicating their responsibility to students when they say, well you can learn religion across campus in the religion department. Here we've got to learn accounting and marketing and strategy and so forth. Mm-hmm. But you learn your religion in a different place. Uh, I think this leaves business professionals unprepared to, to talk about their faith <laughs> in the market. And I know that business faculty, I felt this pressure. We've got this body of knowledge. We've got to have our business students learn. And the, the easy way out is to say, well, we're going to separate the business learning from the religious learning. And uh, we're going to hope that it works when they get out into the market. Uh, we don't want our business students to become at a disadvantage to get a job or to compete with others and so in order to minimize that risk, we've got to teach them accounting and business law and and marketing and so forth and we're just hopeful that it's going to work in terms of bringing it all together um, I'm not sure it does in every case but it's a it's a real it's a it's a tension point yes for sure.
0: Uh, Michael, thank you for being with us uh, today. Listener, I would appeal to you to take this council seriously. One good starting point, Uh, Dr. Kafferke, I'm going to spell his last name because I want you to go on to Amazon or other places you could buy your books and look up. C A F F E R K Y Michael Kafferke. two of his books would be very helpful in this challenge of bringing witness into the secular workplace management a faith-based perspective and scriptural foundations for management access to these works and keep uh, keep studying about how in that workplace we can be a witness Michael thank you for being with us today
1: Thank you, Skip. It's been a pleasure
0: being here. And blessings on you in your continued journey and listener. Thank you for sharing. This is Skip Bell. Thank you. Until next time, keep thinking and keep believing.